0: We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little
1: bit of a lull right now. that! You don't got time set! Right, Let's go! Crank it! Crank it! Glenn Woo!
2: Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're
0: doing and listen.
3: You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and
1: 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Hey, on today's edition of the show, we got a fun one. Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, is going to join us in 20 minutes. We got Josh Briscoe coming up at 4.40 to talk a little Chiefs, another edition of our KU Mailbag. Got any last-second questions, go ahead and get them in at RCST1320 is where you can find our social media account for that KU Mailbag happening at 4.05. We got some uh, audio to go over. We've got a Big 12 breakdown, so a lot of fun stuff on today's Show. The NFL playoff action continues. We are one step closer to Super Bowl 57, and for the NFL divisional round, check out DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Plus, all new and existing customers can take a shot at an even bigger payout with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Boost your NFL winnings with each leg you add up to 100%. So, like, for instance, if we wanted to do uh, a big parlay, Chiefs money line. Let's Yo. go with what? Yo. Eagles money line? You want to go Giants for no, the upset? Giants money line. All right. Giants money line for the upset. <laughs> Make this fun. Um, what do you think? Giants? Niners, Cowboys. Niners. Niners money line. And then uh, Bills, Bengals. Mm, Bengals. All right. Bengals a plus 215. So if you think the, the wow. Chiefs. That's really good value. The honestly. Chiefs, the Giants, the Bengals, and the 49ers all are just going to win straight up. You don't even have to worry about spread. You parlay it together. That's plus twenty one eighty five. Wow. You put five bucks on that, you win, you make over hundred. Wow. Boom. Making pretty, you money. That's, that's pretty good. Every day. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Use code KLWN. New customers can bet just $5 on the NFL division round and get 200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code KLWN. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Bonus issued as free bets. One boost per eligible game. Opt-in required. 10-plus leg required for 100% boost. Deposit, waging, and parlay restrictions apply. Eligibility and terms at sportsbook.draftkings.com slash terms. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, I want to open things up here on this show, going a little more in depth on the Kevin McColar thing because we hinted at it yesterday. We talked a little about it, but certainly this has been a struggle for Kevin McColar, especially shooting the ball. Yeah. of late, um, it has not been a fun time for him on the offensive side of the ball in Big 12 play. And this is something Bill Self, at his presser talked about earlier today. We'll have that audio on on uh, tomorrow's show when we have a little more time. But he basically he. What he said is, you know, I think Kevin's playing, I think he used the exact word of fine, um, which again, that is the most universally distinguished word of all time because some people when they say fine, they actually mean it. Other people <laughs> say fine, and they're like, no, like it's it's the meme of this is fine as your house is burning down. You know what I mean? But he said he, he thought he played fine and that he just needs to get his shot together and he thinks he's overthinking things right now and that he just needs to have a bit of Jalen's mentality where it's just like he doesn't care if he misses the next shot. He's not thinking about it. He's just shooting and he's going. Yeah. And if he can have that, then he thinks he's, he's going to turn it around offensively and that they need him to do all this stuff. Um, so I guess the the ultimate question here that we'll keep coming back to as part of the theme of this topic, how worrisome is Kevin McCuller's lack of offense here lately? And for just to put stats on it in Big 12 play through the first six games, he is averaging seven points per game. He is shooting 14 of 43 from the field. That is 32.5%. He is five of 19 on three-point shots, which is 26%. And he has more turnovers than assists. Yeah, and the numbers feel a lot worse if you put on the tape of just how badly some of the shots have been
0: missing. I mean, it's, it's yeah, they're it's, not it's like tough. rim outs. Yeah, no. I mean, I mean, you you watch the K State game just for example. It's the freshest on the mind. I mean, two two pretty open threes that are just I mean, not even in the same zip code as the rim. So it's just yeah, it's 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 rough. It's rough. But kind of what we talked about yesterday. I think you and I both agree that KU's best lineup is with McCullough on the floor. 100%. So <laughs> I, I I think Bill kind of did a pretty good job of navigating the questions about that and saying, like, listen, like, he's going to play. He's going to be out there. He's, he, he provides so much value. It's just going to be a matter of getting himself out of a slump. And listen, you know, it's a long season. It's understandable that you might have some games where you're not as good offensively as other games, but this has been – a bit more prolonged, which is why I think it's a bit more concerning. But, I mean, the the guy would have to have like zero points in like four or five consecutive games. I think for it to become a question of
1: maybe we shouldn't be playing this guy as much. Well, that's I think something in Bill's mind. That to be clear, that's something Self said too in the the presser. He was like, I I had a long conversation with Kevin. I forget if he said today or yesterday, and I like told him like, you're not in danger of losing any minutes. Like you're right. gonna play a lot of minutes And, yeah. and. Uh, like you, we have to acknowledge that he is such a go- good defender. He is one of the best perimeter defenders we've seen at KU. Yeah. Obviously, you do have a, a long list of other great players, but he is on that short list, and you know that's going to get him playing time. And uh, I I do think that I don't know. Maybe I'm I'm banking on a uh, big Kevin McCuller game on Saturday because he had that conversation with Bill Self working the magic. We'll see. Um, but yeah, the offense because of that to where yes, he is going to play a big role on the team. It's like. You know, when, when Dewan's struggling to shoot or he's he's not having one of those offensive games and, you know, if KJ or Grady is off or, or fouls out in a game, then you're left without a ton of offensive options. And that and that's why you need Kevin to have that kind of extra offensive piece in those numbers. And, and those, yeah, seven points per game in Big 12 yeah, play, I, that's not going to get it done.
0: I think the one saving grace for McCullers so far in Big 12 play has been the fact that KJ has become a revelation of scoring. And if that continues and suddenly you can say, Jalen's your first option, Grady's your second option, KJ's your third option, then yeah, you probably don't need McCullough to do as much offensively. But uh, again, to, to, to say that, to say you don't need him to do as much offensively, that is still a far cry from what he's been doing. Mm-hmm. What he's been doing has been almost nothing. I mean, to say that he has struggled, to say that he's had a bad shooting stretch, that doesn't, not I do I feel like that's an understatement. Of, of what he's been doing lately in conference play. So you just need something from him, just a little bit better, and you'd feel significantly better. Because uh, like Kevin Flaherty talked about yesterday, I think K.J. Adams is here to stay as a 12-14 to 14 point a game player in Big 12 play. I think he's here to stay. He's playing with so much confidence. He has so much chemistry with, with DeWan. That pick and roll, that high pick and roll that they can run to set the offense is so effective. K.J. Adams is here to stay as a scorer. So that means that McColler. If you're having this conversation a month ago, six weeks ago, I think this would be a lot more concerning. But with the KJ situation, instead of saying McCollum needs to average twelve-ish points a game, he could probably average ten or nine and still be, and that would be fine. So uh, you know, it's not like you're asking him to to do a whole lot much because again, he does so much. It, it kinda, it's kind of it's kind of the same conversation with DeJuan. Like DeJuan plays 39 minutes and scores zero points, and it's like one of his better games, <laughs> right? Like, right. You know, so it, it it's just it just comes down to just needing a little bit more out of him, right? And and I, I if I were Bill Self, that would be my message, just like, hey, listen, man, like you don't need to be Superman out there. You don't need to be forcing up a lot of shots or anything. It's just take your time when you're open, step up with confidence, and knock them down. And listen, McCullough is a veteran player, so these are things that he should already know. These are things that he should already be aware of. But, you know, everybody needs a reminder sometimes of that mentality aspect of it. So that would be my, that would be my message to Bill. It's like, hey, listen, you're, you're doing a lot of great things away from the ball offensively, right? Don't, don't force it. Don't feel like you need to put a lot of pressure on yourself to go make a play. I mean, you have, you have other playmakers around you, guys like Grady and Jalen. Just play your game, and when the shots come open or whatever, just step in with confidence, and they'll start to fall. It's as simple as that
1: i think uh there's dev i i guess it's not a coincidence to me that the two games kansas lost were games that you didn't really get much from kevin the tennessee game was because he was playing with a groin injury Yeah, he was trying to play through that the the k-state game you could chalk up to the foul trouble um but obviously you know it's not like the the shot had been falling recently yep. but in ku's two losses i think this shows it right here Kevin McCuller is averaging three and a half points per game. He is two for seven from the floor. He is for five from three. Now that's only two losses. So that still is kind of a small sample size. Like maybe if KU gets up to three or four losses, then we'll really be able to tell if that's a trend with, if Kevin plays, you know, or has a good or bad offensive game. But um, if you also look at like to, to kind of add to the sample size here, if you look at games where KU has played a close game and to be clear, um, I'm only gonna look at games that are against like basically Power Five opponents. I, I'm throwing out for this like I don't want to put in a game. Wow. The disrespect for Utah Valley. Well, I just it's Southern Utah. <laughs> oh, no, you wait, can't. really? Yes.
0: No, no. I was so confident it was Utah Valley. Oh, I'm sick. Oh no, the disrespect i so disrespect you have
1: for Southern Utah. <laughs> um, no, but no. I, I I didn't want to include a game uh, where like KU beat down some. Mid-major by 20 points, and and he had a great game to to all this numbers I'm going to get into. But uh, in KU's wins by six or less. So games where KU has still won, but it's been closer to losing. The numbers are up from the losses. He's at 10 points per game. It's still not ultra-efficient, though, 39% from the floor. He is at 10 of 29 from threes in those games, which is 34%, which that'll very much get it done for him. But then here's it right here. In KU's games where they have won by seven or more points, so by three possessions or more, against the power, I guess, power six teams, because I included Seton Hall to this, 15 points per game, 23 of 45 from the floor, 51%, 8 of 17 from three, that's 47%. So basically what this tells me is it, I don't know, maybe, maybe this is just, this is something that I've kind of felt this whole way, but now that I actually listed out these numbers, I feel even better about it. Like, to be at their best... Kevin McCuller has to be contributing something on offense, and the games that he does go off usually means the KU is going to have an A plus game or darn near it. Yeah, I think that
0: I think the stats that you just read off delineates what we've been saying over and over again, and what Bill Self has said, which is McCuller does a lot of stuff outside of offense, right? Because when he when he adds that offensive element to his game, even if it's just 10 or 12 or 13 points a game, it elevates Kansas significantly, right? And but but even when he's even when he's not playing well offensively, it that the what this stats tell me is that he still is contributing significantly to the game. That's what that tells me. Also a quick side note, I think I need to write a letter to Southern Utah and apologize. I think for, you do for how badly I keep I mean, that's a couple that times. I mean, that this has, has been like half a dozen. I'm gonna times.
1: start weekly just quizzing you on which <laughs> What is the team that Kansas nearly lost to but defeated? And you were even gonna, at that game. I, I, I know. Game. I was at the game. I was there. I feel like I need to write a letter to their athletic uh, uh, AD and just I feel like, I think you're hey. fine. I, I have listen. an assumption they don't listen to our show every day. <laughs> but that's just my thought. If you could guarantee one Kansas player playing their A game in every, let's not say every game. That's That's not sustainable. But in every right. big game the rest of the season. Who do you choose? Because I think based on this, you could make the case for Kevin McCuller. No, I don't think you'd pick McCuller.
0: I don't, McCuller would be like my fourth pick, actually. I think I'd go with KJ first. I'd pick KJ first. That's interesting. What's interesting?
1: I mean, if KJ's playing his best game, he's getting 20 and 10. I honestly, like KJ for me, having his, his A game and we're not saying when i say a game like i don't mean I would go, it's a video game where he's playing on rookie and he scores 60 points 20 you know what i mean like the the largest possible outcome like i just mean 20 and generally 10. you know what what an a game is um yeah. i would go kj
0: grady then either kevin or DeWan. maybe DeWan though i think then for kevin, me and then i would pick jalen last because jalen obviously is going to give you whatever
1: yeah, that's the thing. Like, if if you tell me Jalen's not giving me his A game, you know you're still getting good production from yeah, Jalen. exactly. The counter to that, though, is we know that Jalen's A game is we saw 33 against... Southern Utah. There we go. Okay. And then we saw 38 <laughs> against Kansas State, um, to where we know his A game is very, very good. So that would be nice. I think for me the number one answer is Grady to always have his A game because yep. for him to be locked yep. in defensively, for him to get rebounds, for him to hit a bunch of threes, that's so impactful for this team. But I actually do think number two for me would be Kevin because of the correlation between how well he has done offensively like, and okay. how good Kansas The can thing be. with Kevin is like when he sucks, KU still is fine. They still win. I know, but they've had to – I mean, you know how close they've been to losing some of these games that they've won? If Kevin goes has a game where he's scoring fourteen or fifteen instead of struggling shooting, you don't even have to sweat those out. And I think over the course of Big Twelve play, you're going to have to have a couple games where you win, you know, by double figures to kind of have a, a relieving victory. So uh, to me, that would be the answer, or, or the second answer behind Grady. I don't know, I don't know man. I, 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 I mean, I don't think KU's going to win very many more Big Twelve games by double figures. No, probably not. But I guess I guess I would put it this way: like Kevin is is not KU's best player. That's Jalen Wilson. No. If you want to say the most important, I don't know. You could argue Duane or Grady Dick, whatever. Probably Duane. I think Kevin McCuller is KU's X factor. I know that is such a like vague term that we use in the sports world, but you know what it means. And to me, that's kind of what this shows. I could maybe get on board with that, with the
0: idea that he's he could be the guy that if he's at his A game, like
1: you've talked about pretty much elevates everybody else. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to take a timeout. Voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney, joins us next. Welcome back in. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson, along with Nick Springer. You're listening on KLWN or the KLWN app. Joined now by the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney. You'll be able to hear him on the call on Saturday for KUTCU. Tip-off at noon pregame At 1030, Uh, we were kind of just talking in the open about um, Kevin McCuller's offensive struggles kind of recently and some of the shooting struggles that he's kind of undergone. And uh, we were looking at the different results for KU and in the two losses, you've had games where he fouled out and he was injured and uh, I think 0 for 5 from 3 in those two losses. And then the the games that they've won by 6 or less, so have been closer to kind of being a loss, but they've still won. He's been averaging 10 points per game, and then in the games that they've won by three possessions or more, and these are against the Power Six opponents they've played, um, he's been averaging 15 points per game, which kind of got us to a discussion of if you could guarantee one player the rest of the season would play their A game in every big game, who would you take? And. You know, we, we argue, you said, well, Jalen Wilson, but if you're not getting his A game, you're still getting good production there. So do you go with Grady Dick to guarantee good shooting every night? Do you go with Nick Pick K.J. Adams? I, I think, though, Kevin McCuller might be a good answer there when you just look at the correlation for how this team has done and, and the fact that you know he's going to be out on the court for such a long period of time because he is such a good defender and does the little things, so you need him to give some sort of offensive push. Who would be your answer to that question?
2: Wow, that's that's fantastic. I love the topic. I think you make a very strong case for Kevin, and it's hard to disagree with that because he does bring so much defensively, and so you don't want him to to be in the type of funk that takes him off the floor because at three steals a game almost, he's such a game-changer there and gets multiple blocks and key spots too, so that's a great pick. But honestly, if you could pencil in 21 on 5 of 9 from 3, and Grady Dick every single game, which is unrealistic, but I'm talking about his most recent good game versus Iowa State. Boy, what a difference maker that is for Kansas, and it obviously spreads the floor for everybody else when when he's hitting from deep like that and catching fire I think it makes all four other positions jobs so much easier so he would be a close second if you're talking about this hypothetical on who we want to have their optimal game going forward but uh, Kevin's a great one and when you see the absence of him it, it makes the fact that we only lost by one and had a chance to win it both at the end of regulation and in overtime all the more impressive considering he fouls out doesn't Scratch offensively at all. It, it blows my mind that we had the chances that we did, uh, considering the fact that 60% of our starters fouled out. We were 6 of 29 from three, missed multiple free throw opportunities with KJ and Kevin up there. That should not have been a one point game when you add all that up, but that speaks to how great of a coach we have with Bill Self and how great of a team we have. And it should also make Kansas fans confident that in the repeat game, I, I hate to call it the revenge game, but in the game coming up in a couple of weeks, the Jayhawks should have a tremendous chance of not only avenging that loss, but maybe doing so in convincing fashion.
1: Well, and and I think when you look at both of KU's losses, too, uh, if you're looking for correlations, both games, you're missing players for different reasons. The Tennessee game, the McCuller injury, Dewan Harris fouls out, Bobby Pettiford gets hurt uh, versus K-State. Three players foul out, You had early foul trouble for Bobby. Dewan Harris misses a, a brief bit of time with the the head injury or whatever it was classified as after he kind of went to the floor. And that was certainly a big conversation for us yesterday with talking about the bench for this team and, and something that Bill Self talked about earlier today that, yeah, they didn't go super deep last year, but Remy was a rock and Mitch was a rock off the bench. And if you really had to, like, we saw games where Jalen Coleman-Lance came off the bench. Like, I always think of the George Mason game where he had 20-something points and hit a bunch of threes for you when you really needed to. Do you see a path for a player or two on the bench to to maybe step up to give this team that same insurance that last year's team had? Or is this kind of getting to a point where you feel like, yeah, it's going to kind of just be on the five starters to, to, I don't know, once we get to March, play 35 to 40 minutes a game?
2: Well, the way you phrased the first half of that question, is there a path to getting the same – bench production we had a year ago? I don't think so, because you had a 2,000-point career scorer coming off the bench in Remy Martin that was the best sixth man in the entire bracket in March Madness, and there just isn't that weaponry on the bench unless something you know got unlocked with, with M.J. Rice and he had some phenomenal second half of the season. There just isn't the, the high-level upside that Remy could bring amongst your current reserves on this year's team. I think Bobby Pettiford has a chance to have an excellent Kansas career and there are certainly going to be games where Joe Yesitu provides numerous contributions in a multitude of categories, but you don't have anybody that's going to come in and, and you know, put twenty one on the board or sixteen quick ones off the bench, boom, 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 like Remy did. And then, you know, the bigs that come off the bench Uh, I I think there will be a a game or two where where Zuby steps up and has some big contributions. I just don't think at any point this season you're going to see prolific bench production by any of those Kansas bigs it was nice to get the 10-point game out of Zach Clements versus Oklahoma certainly provided a great spark there but uh, I just don't see that within this particular season seeing that type of of blossoming on the bench from here we are talking on January the what 19th so um, it's it's hard to imagine that you know compared to last year but It's also an embarrassment of riches that we have two McDonald's All-Americans on the bench that uh, right now can't find a way on the floor because, A, they haven't Earned their way into the circle of trust with Bill Self, and B, you've got guys that are more proven than have. That that's certainly a luxury not many teams have. And I know that's been frustrating for some fans that want to see more of those guys. But the truth of the matter is, you know, MJ dealt with a multitude of of really unpredictable physical setbacks in November and December from you know. The back injury that's flared up multiple times, including in Morgantown, to having COVID, to having kidney stones. And that's valuable time missed. And in a year where the Big 12 has not afforded Kansas any opportunities to really empty that bench because you think back to the the blowout win at West Virginia our starters only managed one field goal in the last six and a half minutes of regulation so Self wasn't going to take them off the floor with West Virginia lurking a little bit and the offense not really putting them away and that was also a day when MJ was unavailable due to the back flare up and so other than that, all games have been decided by you know four points or less, and there just aren't opportunities like there used to be. I was telling somebody earlier this week that I remember the good old days of Big 12 North versus Big 12 South where on our Big 12 North scheduling back before K-State was competitive. You had six almost guaranteed wins with Nebraska, Colorado, and K-State which in a 16-game league format, that was six of your 16 games. And, and these were not necessarily guaranteed wins, but in most cases, these were wins by comfortable margins that most years you won five out of six, if not all six. And so you could count on having games even into January and February, where you're developing your younger talent and getting these guys real game reps, you just don't have that in the modern day Big Twelve, where you know every team but one right now is in the top 38 of Ken Palm rankings, and you know you're looking at perhaps eight NCAA tournament teams. There's just no night off to, to trot these guys out there, and some would argue, well, maybe. You know, the other night was was a good chance to extend opportunities to somebody like MJ. Hey, man, if if he hasn't had the real game experience with the live bullets flying in league play, it's it's tough to just throw a guy into the deep end of the pool and expect that to happen. And Bill Self, you know, sees these guys on a daily basis and then knows who he can trust based on what he sees in practice. And unless you've had consecutive days of building up that. Uh, you know, that confidence in the coach's mind, it's hard to throw a guy in there in a spot like that. At the end of the day, he's going to go with who he trusts, even if that player is six inches shorter, not as fast, and doesn't have as high of a, a rival's ranking, if you catch my drift. You know, your, your status on Coach Self's rotation and bench is based on what you do once you get here, not what your hyper-reputation was coming in. Having said that, I love Ernest, and I love MJ, and I've had nothing but awesome dealings with both of those kids, and I I wish we could see more opportunities, and maybe there will be chances for that. It's just hard when you you look down at the schedule, and there's no end in sight to this. Somebody asked me earlier today, here's a good hypothetical for you guys to come up with these great topics on RCST. Somebody said, what's tougher? KU's next six games? or the six in route to winning the NCAA championship. (laughs) And it's wholeheartedly the six we're in the middle of right now because, A, some of these are on the road, like Waco and Lexington. But, B, I mean, I know Kentucky's not ranked, but otherwise they pretty much all are. And last year, of course, you had Texas Southern in the opening round, and then both Creighton and Villanova had key injuries on their team. So even though the stage was bigger and the lights were brighter, this is absolutely a tougher stretch uh and so it it's definitely uh you know an interesting case study to see you know, what Kansas is up against right now compared to any other three-week stretch in their entire season. And, you know, you may not see these young guys get chances until we get into February and some of those uh, Oklahoma schools in West Virginia get back on the schedule. But here's hoping they're doing enough between games in these practice sessions to garner a little bit of trust and confidence from the coaching staff, because that's the first step toward getting anything on game day.
0: I don't want... Jalen Wilson's performance to be erased because of the K-State loss on Tuesday. So I just wanted to ask you, how impressed you, how impressed were you with that performance? And I don't know, maybe where would you rank that in terms of Kansas performances you've seen in person from what Jalen Wilson was able to do, given the circumstances of having starters out and being on the road in, in a hostile environment?
2: Man, that's a great question, Nick. And I think what makes it even more impressive is of his 12 of 25 that he hit, he opened to 0 of 5. How many guys have ever opened 0-5 on the road in a top 15 place and finished with a career high? At some point, you stop firing them up. Uh, and Bill Self said it in the press conference today. Derek was sitting right next to me. He said he wished... that. Guy like Kevin McCullough had Jalen's ability to forget the misses because he said Jalen almost forgets them instantaneously. And, uh, I think we could all take a page out of that book in whatever we do professionally. You know, you're on to the next play. Don't get hung up on your setbacks because one can lead to two if you do, and it can kind of snowball on you. He hadn't hit anything to start that game. And yet he finishes by hitting 12 of his last 20, which obviously is 60%. And many of those are are coming from the inside, but three of those were from beyond the perimeter. And so kudos to him for having the the self-confidence to step up and, and rise above and, Also, uh, kudos to him for having the ability to block out some of the classless chants that were coming from the student section at K-State that were taking shots based on stuff that happened a long time ago that we won't repeat on this interview. But he blocked all that out, and I thought that was another great sign of a guy that uh, has matured so much. And Something else I saw firsthand that factors into where do you rank this performance, KU's down 14 early. And it's not the point guard, the Juan Harris, that's huddling the guys up and and the lead voice there. It's Jalen Wilson. Uh, Juan's not the most vocal of the leaders on this team, and that's not the slight Juan. It's just not the way you know he's made. But uh, but Jalen is, and, and he was bringing the guys together multiple times in a really tight huddle when things were starting to pile up against us and reminding them of, hey, we were down 16 at the half here a year ago. We found a way to claw back. We can do the same today. And so that steady hand at the wheel, that poise under pressure, that just shows me how much he's grown and matured. And so, you know, in terms of individual statistics, I'd have to go back and look at it. I called a couple Levante Graham 35-point games early in his tenure and I could think of some amazing lines that Frank Mason had the season that he won the Naismith and the wooden, but in my seven years, it's, it's certainly uh, the best performance I've ever seen in a loss because all those factors against him, you know, he did so much to keep us in the game. And, you know, not knowing that 60% of the lineup would foul out, and I've never called a game where that was the case, by the way. Not when I was doing Free State girls games. Not when I am doing <laughs> KU basketball games. I've never called 60% of the starters fouling out. I promise you that. Uh, but But if you would have told... Bill Self or Jalen Wilson, regardless of any of those other measurables, like six of 29 from three and 60% of your lineup fouling out. If you were just told them hopping on the bus on Monday night, driving over there, you're going to have the ball in a tie game with, uh, you know, a chance to win it in regulation. And you're going to have the ball down one in the last 12 seconds of overtime, they both would have taken that to the bank right away and been very confident with their chances. Uh, then when you add to it all those factors we just alluded to, the fact that they left money on the table with all those missed free throws, KJ 5 of 10, McCullough 0 for 2, it's remarkable to me it's head scratching that we had a chance to still win that game and if that doesn't make you confident about our chances here in 12 days to get them back I don't know what does because many other teams with that many things stacked against them would have lost by 15 Kansas did not so let's give some value and merit to that no doubt
1: Saturday's game takes place noon, pregame 1030 here on KLWN and all across the Jayhawk radio network. You can hear Brian Haney on the call of it. Uh, Obviously, TCU last season was kind of a a weird matchup because you played both games within the same week after the first one was pushed to later in the season. They got KU down in Fort Worth. KU got them in a close game in Allen Fieldhouse. Uh, What sticks out to you the most about this rendition of the matchup?
2: Well, they're really athletic. Their athleticism was concerning last year. You saw it front and center in Fort Worth, and it took a grind it out, contest them at the rim with DeWan's big block uh, 48 hours later to get the return trip to Morris tucked away. Otherwise, they were that close to becoming just the third program to ever sweep a Big 12 home and home against Bill Self's Jayhawks. So it's it's the same team largely. Uh, with all these guys being a year older and a year better, Miles was obviously the second best scorer in the league. Emmanuel Miller's length and explosiveness and athleticism is a concern for me. I thought at times, you know, he he really uh, shined bright head to head in that category a year ago. And then Eddie Lampkin, this kid cracks me up, man. He, he's a great player. He's a load inside. But I, I don't think I've called in my 11 years of being a Big 12 basketball voice, four at Tech and seven at Kansas, I've never called anybody that talks as much trash and has as much body language swag as this guy. I mean, every made basket, every big rebound, he is pointing at the crowd, doing something, letting you know about it. And uh, and that's going to be fun to watch on Saturday because I think KJ has a chance as the quicker, more explosive player to, uh, to score around him and over him uh, with pretty good success. But at the same time, I think Lampkin's going to be a load for Kansas to handle because he is so agile in such a big body. And I have a lot of respect for his game, but, but his uh, personality I, I think is even more fun to marvel at, whether you like it or not. it it definitely stands out. So you guys always give me these questions I would never (laughs) think to ask. Can you imagine or can you think of, in all your years of covering KG basketball, any Kansas opponent with as much swag or, you know, talking some trash, bobbing his head, flexing the biceps as TCU's Eddie Lampkin? I can't think of one in my 11 years of being on the call here in the league. Can you?
1: Um, not really. I mean, Marcus Smart was like a different level. He was just kind of an irritator, like in a different way. Um, But this, this guy was before my time. So I I don't know how much he talked trash, but just in terms of the the game style and like the type of guy he was where he was kind of this, Uh, I don't know, there's like bravado to him. I, I, I wish I would have asked this to Bill Self earlier because I'm just thinking about this now, but I wonder how much... Uh, similarity wise, and, and I think this guy was better than what Lampkin has been so far. But big country, Bryant Reeves, how much he would compare to, <laughs> to Eddie Lampkin?
2: He has some swag to him. Uh, I'll never forget Kansas and Osterchak shutting him out in the fog. And that was the ultimate, uh, you know, defensive lockdown and statement made and all that. But there was definitely some swag there. Yeah, I, we'd have to go back and, and ask. Guys like Gurley would have been a part of the Big Eight and the Big Twelve when it comes to the swag, and we'll have to do that on Saturday's broadcast. And by the way, I'm not making a critical statement at all. I'm just saying his personality really mm-hmm. stands out, and he's very demonstrative when he's. I mean, I was watching the K State TCU game first half last week before we got on the air to call the Iowa State game, and he got a big and one, and he's running up, you know, pointing at the first <laughs> five rows of the crowd, telling them, "Hey." Look, look at me, man. And, and they feed off of that, you know, when he's at home and he's doing that, that whole place, whether it's six or 8,000, whatever it is, man, they love that. And if you're the opposition, you hate that. So that's going to be fun to watch. And I'm sure he'll have some, uh, you know, some creative gestures to, uh, to get the Kansas fans fired up as well.
1: Well, Brian, appreciate the time as always, uh, looking forward to hearing you on the call on Saturday. And before we let you go, a word from Nate Miller.
2: That's right. Nate Miller's my main man when it comes to financial planning and advice. Just as the Jayhawks are getting their plan together to hopefully take down TCU, he's got a game plan for you. He'd love to sit down and look at your existing portfolio or put one together for the first time, and you can check in with Nate and line up an appointment to – Look over these things at MillerRetirementGroup.com. That's MillerRetirementGroup.com. Check them out today. Always a pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me on. I always love the questions you guys cook up. And uh, here's hoping we're, we're talking about a couple of big Kansas wins and ex- an exciting trip to Lexington, Kentucky this time next week.
1: Awesome, Brian. Thanks again, man. Thanks, guys. All right. That's Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We uh, are going to take a timeout when we come back. KU Women's Basketball got a pretty big win last night. Uh, before we do that, though, cue the disclaimer. Brian is a paid spokesperson, not a client. Ryan does not endorse, and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. All right, this is RCST. We'll be back after this timeout. Coming up in the 4 o'clock hour, we've got our KU Mailbag. If you have any last-second questions, hit us up on social media. Uh, You can also listen to Josh Briscoe join the show at 440. We're going to be talking some Chiefs with Josh. The KU women's basketball team got a big win last night. They've um, basically so far in Big 12 play, like the teams that you would expect them to beat, they've beaten the teams that maybe are ranked higher than them, they've lost to. So they've kind of been right in the middle of the Big 12, which is kind of the spot they were in last year. This year they had a better non-con, so it would set them up for a better seed and everything if they do the exact same thing. But uh, certainly would we'll be on the lookout if they can kind of reach up and, and get one of those big wins. But nonetheless, as far as last night, uh, they were down, I think, 14 at the half. I think it was 34 yep. to 20. Yep. And they come back and win by 19. So I mean if if you think it's crazy what K the KU men's team has done being down like 15 at half they came they they've come back and been down 15 and won these games I like two KU came back and won by 19 that is incredible. they outscored them by 33 points yeah. in the second half Yeah they got down 8 early in the first quarter 14 at the half
0: but they forced 24 turnovers by West Virginia that was really kind of one of the defining factors of the game and listen there's been a lot of conversation about Oh, what's wrong with KU's bench? What you know, we, KU need more production from the bench. Kind of a similar story with the women, man. They only got three points from their bench uh last night. But when you have three of your starters score at least sixteen points and another one scores thirteen, that gets it done. But uh some interesting similarities there with the getting down at half, come back to win, and then also maybe some some questions about the
1: bench as well. Yeah. Um you know, I uh I, I continue to be so impressed by Tyana Jackson and I continue to think that she should be a Big 12 Player of the Year candidate. I don't know if it'll happen because, again, a lot of times it goes to one of the teams who...
0: She's just a double-double machine.
1: I know. She is 13 and 16. Um, the only thing that could prevent her... Yeah, if if, if Kansas only finishes 4th or 5th, a lot of times it might go to the team in 1st or 2nd. Now, Aoka Lee won it last year for K-State. She was also the National Player of the Year. But she also had like and they 70 finished, points in a game. Exactly. They finished, I think, 6th. But yeah, her numbers... Basically, if you're <laughs> going to win it at 4th or 5th or 6th, your numbers have to be... <laughs> <laughs> unworldly. And hers are really good, but I don't know that they're that, you know. Um, but I, I think one thing that's a positive development right now for this team is Wyvette Mayberry. Uh, she's kind of finding her groove net right now. So she transferred in before the season started from Tulsa where she was a good player and kind of got off to an up and down start. Like she did have some big games early in the season. She had a 20-point game and I think it was the second game of the year. Um, but overall through the first 13 games of the season, she was averaging about 9.1 points per game. But over the last four games, she has scored 19 points or more in three of the last four. She had 19 points last night against West Virginia. To your point about the bench, maybe they don't have as much of a bench punch. That basically just puts more pressure on the starters. They know what they have with Tyana Jackson. You know what you have with Holly Kierskeeter. You know what you have with Sakaya Franklin, who's been playing great so far this season. You need you know another starter to be able to give you that scoring punch if the bench isn't going to provide it and right now she's doing that. And that's going to be so important down the stretch for this team. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. And and I think you you made a good point about the sign of a good team is you beat the teams you're supposed to beat, but the sign of a great team is you win some of those other tougher games against the tougher competition. And that's that's kind of where Kansas is at right now with they've played really well and taken care of business against teams that they've needed to do that against, but against some of the the top tiers in the Big 12. They've still kind of struggled a little bit, but you know, there's there's plenty of time to develop still the rest of the season, and and I think still regardless, this is a very exciting time uh, for this team, and you know, this is a team that they were an eight seed in the tournament last year. I, I have a hard time believing they will be anything lower than that this year. Probably going to be a higher seed this year in the tournament with the way they've been playing. So uh, it's it's definitely a really exciting time, and and as you just talked about, it they've got three or four starters that are producing at a pretty high level, very consistently, which is also very, very exciting. So it's a great sign. Defended downfield house again very well last night against West Virginia, even after a slow start, right? That's another sign of, of a good team or a great team is you would get off to a bumpy start, you're able to shake that off and come back and still perform very well and, and take care of business in a really what ended up being a pretty dominating fashion uh, against a pretty solid West Virginia team. I mean, West Virginia, you know, they were they were over 500 in conference going into that game against KU, and KU just kind of clobbered them in the second half.
1: Well, I'm looking at uh, ESPN – as their uh, college basketball, college women's basketball uh, bracketology. It has West Virginia. This was as of two days ago, so this would have been before the West Virginia-Kansas game. But it had West Virginia as one of the next four outs, basically one of the first eight out. So, yeah, like you said, they, they've been a solid team. So that is a oh, yeah. solid if, enough if win you're for beating Kansas.
0: A, yeah, if you're beating a bubble team by 20... You feel you feel pretty good.
1: Only had Kansas good. as a 9 seed though, but you would think after that win probably moves them up to the 8 line. I agree with you. I think when it's all said and done, I envision Kansas will be better than that. That is assuming they take care of business in a lot of these games. Um because that's putting them at 9 seed at the time when they were 2 and 3 in Big 12 play. But there is going to be some pressure to at least win one or two of these games against the upper tier because yeah, that's something sure. that escaped them last year minus they they had the win in Austin against Texas and that was a big win for them, but you know, I, I think They got swept by Iowa State, and they get swept by Baylor. The game that was in Lawrence, they probably should have won. Um, They're going to have to clean up a couple of those wins. doesn't mean you have to win everyone. And this Saturday, perfect shot. They're at Iowa State, 18th best team in the country on the women's side of things. So... Uh, start getting some of those wins against some of the top 25 opponents. Just get one or two of them to boost that resume because I think that's really going to be the difference of if they can be like a 4, or 5, or 6 seed as opposed to if they would be like a 7 or 8 seed.
0: Yeah, and also this win against West Virginia was was good last night. Stopped a three-game losing streak, right? Which that's always a positive. So maybe that can kind of re-kick start uh, this team right now after kind of a little bit of a skid. They get the big win against West Virginia. Now a big game against Iowa State. Like it could have been pretty easy, especially after getting down early against West Virginia, to just kind of scrap that game and and look ahead towards a big matchup against Iowa State. But they came back, took care of business, and Iowa State. Perfect example, as you said, of a chance to to get a. I, I don't I don't know. Do they have like quad one? Does quad, women's? Quad yeah, play, yeah, like, same So game. this would be
1: mm-hmm. a chance to get a quad one win on the road. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're gonna take a timeout. One hour down, two to go. Ku mailbag next. This is RCST. <laughs> Four o'clock hour, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We've got some Brandon Schneider audio coming up a little after that. We'll be joined by Joshua Briscoe. Talk a little Chiefs playoffs here on RCST looking for the perfect destination for your next social or corporate gathering venue 1235 has you covered located right off I-70 and five minutes from downtown Lawrence venue 1235 is a large climate controlled event space with a catering kitchen private suite and a covered patio let's get into our latest KU mailbag got some fun ones this week always fun ones but uh this one from Bart <clears throat> you can add hey, a- this is
0: my favorite segment by the way before we get started okay favorite
1: segment you can add one Bill Self All-American to this year's team to make them unstoppable. Go. Okay, I think the answer would be either
0: a wing shooter or a big. But I do have a question about this. Question is: Are we are we going?
1: Question about <laughs> the question. Okay.
0: Are we going to allow any All-Americans? Or are we doing only first-team All-Americans? Because if because if you expand it yeah, to it second specify. team. You know, or, I mean so, so all these guys are consensus all Americans. But if we if we do only first team it's kinda narrow. If you expand it to second team, you have a lot more
1: options. I say expand it to second. Okay. I don't want to get into the game of like honorable mention. Okay, Let's yeah, yeah, go there. No, yeah. Just, only yeah, first, first or second team. Only sure. first or second. Yeah. Like so AP first or second. Whatever. Of AP consensus first team
0: all Americans. These 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 are the top options that I came up with. Thomas Robinson. Oach, who was a first team consensus all American. Wayne Simi, Or Devontae or
1: uh Devontae Graham. Okay, so here's it. you didn't even mention Frank Mason. But I, I don't I, think that's uh, wrong. Yeah, I mean I yeah, that's why I didn't mention him is because like, like you have Dwan. Yeah, and it's like, well, like you Devontae, just take the you best could least, player and like, figure it out, maybe. Like but Devontae, you could even you, you could at least thing. argue like he'll be he'll the, two guard. the two. Yeah. Like everything that Joe Yesifu does, or everything that when Bobby comes into play next to Dwan, Devontae does that at an elite level. Way better. You know? Yeah. Whereas with Frank, it's like, well, now Frank is the guy with the ball in his hands, and I don't know what that what does for Dewan. Yeah, so I I think that you go with Devonte if you're doing the guard. Yeah, and because like I, I don't oach obviously had a great senior season, but I don't, I think I mean, you could make a real argument for Ochai. You think Oach? because everything for for me Ochai and Devonte are the two. Um, I I could get on board with like the going for the big man, like seeing Jeff withie in there. I think would be really cool to. Or, or are you? I think if you guys Bill Self know, maybe you'd pick a big man. But here's the it, maybe. I just KJ's played so well lately. but You're I guess, four. You're playing with four. You know what? Maybe Udoka would be the answer because then you. I, I don't think you could play Udoka and KJ at the five and four. There's no spacing <laughs> on the floor with the one at the one. You, you cannot do that. Um, but what you can do, because Udoka is maximized by only playing 20 to 22 minutes a game. Yeah. Where you can give all-out effort, right? Yeah. And in a big game, maybe it goes up to 25, 28. Then you still have KJ to play as your backup center for fifteen to twenty minutes a game. Yeah, and then you have Udoka as a shot blocker with Kevin McCuller and Dewan Harris as your two perimeter defenders, dude. <laughs> and you're getting all the rebounds with uh, I think that's the answer. So for me. you mentioned Doke. These Ooh, are the options. I like of, that. These are the options of
0: second team guys you could add. Mm-hmm. I put Andrew Wiggins, Jeff Withey, Ben McLemore, Doke. Or Cole Aldridge. Yeah. So, again, if you're going to go with the big man option, your options are Jeff Withey, Doak, or Cole Aldridge. If you're going for a shooting wing, you got Andrew Wiggins,
1: Ben McLemore, Oach, the Frank, beauty, or Devontae. The beauty of going with a wing is that it alleviates the depth problems we've talked about, the bench problems. Where now, if yeah. you're bringing in, for instance, Ocha Baji. He is starting next to Jalen Wilson and probably Grady Dick, and that is a lot of shooting on the floor. And then you have Kevin McCuller coming off the bench. Or you have Grady Dick coming off the bench. I mean, that that is so much guard depth that you now have that that it creates. But I do think, for me, I keep going back to the idea of having (laughs) having Udoka be able to block shots and still be a a solid enough switchable center uh, perimeter defender and having him be just the guy who's going to dunk everything. Now – good luck face guarding Grady Dick. You can't because they're just going to put same side actions with Grady Dick and Yudoka Azebuki. Dude, I'm getting so excited by this. (laughs) If you add Yudoka to this team, they have the best center position in the country because you have Doke, who's already probably the best center, and then you have KJ, who at that point would probably be the best backup center in the country. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. I I Please let this happen somehow. Can the Jazz yeah, I mean, trade him? I mean, you're rolling out. He goes under the name so of Adoka out. Uzabuki
0: or something. <laughs> so you got Doke and Jaylen, mm-hmm. and then Grady and McCuller and Dewan as your starting five. Mm-hmm. As you said, KJ can come off, come off the bench and play at the five
1: spot. And there you go. Well, because my worry, if you if you do the Thomas Robinson or Wayne Simeon one, I don't think you have like T Rob. You can't switch onto guards. And also, T. robs not a great rim protector. No. So my so, I mean, worry I mean, would be the defensive the scoring side. at that point. I yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I'll say this: the offense would be so fun. Yeah, I mean, but like, like
0: same thing with Wayne Simeon. like he was one of the only yeah. other, one of the only other but Bill he was four players. that averaged over five. over 20 points. So, I think if you're adding one of those guys, you're saying, we're just going to score 100 every game. Yeah. That's it.
1: And Jeff Withey would be the same type of answer. Same with Cole Aldridge as Doke. I just think Doke fits even better there because of his yeah. efficiency on the offensive end. So, I think yeah. to me, Doke is the number one answer, but I'd be fine going Devontae or Ochai for the second. You're not intrigued by Andrew Wiggins or Ben McElmore? No, nah, not a ton. I, I mean, yeah. I am intrigued. Like, they're really good players. They would add to this team. But compared to those other guys, yeah. I, I yeah. don't think. Like, Ochai Baji last year was definitely better than, you know, Yeah, I mean, if you're getting
0: yeah, if if you're getting senior year, first team all American, Ochai, absolutely. Yeah, I mean,
1: if I'm getting Andrew Wiggins now, (laughs) like sure, (laughs) he's gonna average forty a game. (laughs) Okay, uh, Kelly, love your show. Thank you. Is KU football better than the four teams entering the conference? How many of these teams do you think we end up playing? All right, so well, we should have known that by now, to be yeah, clear. Yeah, yeah, we haven't we haven't really touched on
0: it on the show much, but the Big Twelve has just absolutely fumbled the schedule release <laughs> so bad. Oh, dude, Brett your mark, what are we doing, man? We got beat up by the Pac twelve. Pac twelve release schedule this week. Like, it's been a clown show in terms of the schedule situation, and I won't even get into allegedly why it's, why that is the case because Oklahoma and Texas are complaining about it. They're not even going to be in the conference. Okay, sorry, sorry. Back to the question. Sorry, Kelly. Okay, so obviously you have Cincinnati, UCF, BYU, Houston. So here's how it's looking. Here's how it's looking. Cincinnati has a lot of questions. Luke Fickle's gone, right? But they've won nine games every season since 2017. So you figure, even with Luke Fickle gone, they're probably going to be at least a seven and nine win team. You would think in their first year in the Big 12. I mean, I don't, I don't see them just falling off like, in uh, in college football especially. Like if you're if you're a good coach and you're a good recruiter, like and you leave. That team is probably still going to be kind of good, at least for another year or two. So I suspect that Cincinnati is going to be a seven to nine win team. UCF is intriguing. They have Gus Malzahn, who I think is a, a pretty good coach, and they've won nine games in his first two seasons. So again, another team that's maybe in that middle tier of seven to nine wins. BYU had a pretty disappointing this year, this season, considering some people were picking them as their dark horse <laughs> to the CFP. No, no, no. Uh, yeah. No shout-out to Derek there. I got him 100-1. to one. <laughs> How do I not take that? They finished 8-5 with a bowl win. Mm-hmm. So, Close enough. Yeah, they finished 8-5 with a bowl win. So, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, probably, again, maybe in that same situation. And then Houston, obviously, another team that probably had a somewhat disappointing season, depending on who you ask, considering, I think, preseason, some within that program, around that program, maybe expected them to be a New Year's Six Bowl team. They finished 8-5 with a bowl win, but Kansas obviously beat them in, in the regular season. So, overall, I think with what Kansas is bringing back and what Kansas has established, to me, they're probably on the same tier as all four of these other teams. I don't, I mean, I think that's a pretty fair statement to yeah. make.
1: The way I would put it is that if Kansas plays any of these teams, which for the schedule part of it, yeah, we, we just don't know. Yeah. If Kansas plays any of these teams, you're not going to go into the game saying Kansas can't win that game. Exactly. Now, yeah, maybe exactly. if they're playing at Cincinnati, they'll be underdogs. Or maybe if it's even here in Lawrence, they'll be like three-point underdogs or something. But they're all winnable games. And yeah. so when I look at, for instance, because it is hard to kind of correlate what some of these schools have done in, in other conferences, BYU has played a pretty close to Power 5 schedule, um, though it's mostly been Pac-12 teams but, lately, I mean, listen, which aren't B- that good.
0: BYU got... Got their doors beat off by yeah. Baylor and KU. No, no, they beat Baylor.
1: Oh, they did. Yeah, they beat him in overtime. Oh, um, okay, never mind. But like idiot. <laughs> that's well, on, I, that's on me. But I guess so I, I, who 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 blew out BYU? Somebody blew them out. Yeah,
0: it was like a game where it was like supposed to be a close maybe. game and they got blown out.
1: Arkansas. Oh no, Notre it was Dame. Oregon, right? Oregon. Yeah, didn't Oregon, Oregon blow them did. out? That's right. Yeah, okay. Oregon. Um, I think that when you look at all of these games. I don't know who's projected to be the best next year. Probably just Cincinnati, Cincinnati. like you said, maybe UCF. Houston loses Clayton Toon and Tank Dell. That's going to hurt them. Uh, But, like, both Houston and UCF long-term, now that they're in the Big 12, in very talent-rich states are going to be. But how much is that going to lead next year? So, like, when I look at some of the other schools that have made the the jump. When I look at some of the other schools that have made the jump to Power 5 recently, TCU did it, Utah did it. Those are the two that come to mind. Obviously, there are others. For Utah, it took, like, two years of being, like, Below average, not very good, and then they started turning into a bowl level team. And then after a handful of years of being a bowl level team, winning you know six, seven, eight games a year, they have turned into now like one of the better teams in the Pac-12. For TCU, it took one bad year, and then immediately after that, I think in year, I think the first year they went like five and seven. The second year was I think the year that they almost made the college football playoffs. So for them, it was a quick turnaround. But in both of those cases, there was at least a year of catching up to the depth and the overall uh physicality of a long term, you know, power 5 schedule. Yeah. Maybe it's different now because of the fact that um you have the transfer portal where it's easier to kind of add that depth right away. But I I could see like any of those schools having kind of a down firster first year or two yeah. which well, and I think means things could be better.
0: Something that Utah and TCU had in common that you were talking about is a very well established Excellent coach, mm-hmm. Gary Patterson and Kyle Whittingham. So from that standpoint, for these four schools, you look at maybe UCF. I know mean, I mean, Gus Malzahn's been there for two years, but he's probably the best coach now with Luke. Again, I think you could look at Cincinnati, and if if Luke Fickle is still at Cincinnati, you would say that could be a ten-win team. That could be a team that competes for the Big Twelve championship first year, but with no Luke Fickle there, probably not. You know, so I don't know. Maybe look at UCF, but yeah, I I mean, again, I think you're these teams. None of these teams are significantly better than Kansas, probably on the same tier. Kansas already beat Houston last year. And in terms of the schedule, I will say this. I, I would expect that Kansas is probably going to end up playing at least two of them. of Two of the four, you would think. Probably. At least two, maybe three. I don't know, depending on how that all sorts out. And also, any other uh, schedule questions, please direct yourself to <laughs> Brett Yormark of the Big 12 offices. That's Brett Yormark at big12.com. Email him. Uh, send him a letter. Brett Yormark, Big 12 offices. Send your Send your messages to him. This you one can, from you can Lane. at uh, nine zero one three
1: four I don't know I don't know what his number is. <laughs> I was like wait do you actually have his phone number uh, This one from Lane What will happen first a K State national championship or the Rapture Rapture obviously Unless <laughs> short answer there. Unless meat judging or whatever becomes recognized as an actual
0: <laughs> legitimate sport thing
1: Okay <laughs> What if Jerome Tang if you guaranteed he stays at K State for twenty years
0: I don't think they win a the national
1: title. They could. I mean, they, I mean Baylor I did. Could. I I would have thought five years ago Baylor will never win a title. They did. You know, <laughs> so I don't know. I, I guess I wouldn't discount I guess that's it. Fair. Okay, that's true. I'll probably say. I mean, who knows? The Rapture that could be. I mean, surely that k could State be could tomorrow. A, that could be in I mean, five million years. Surely, I don't k know. State
0: could win a national title in something. <laughs> oh right? wait, they haven't.
1: <laughs> Clowns. I'll say the title. Uh, this one from <clears> Frank. <throat> Uh, Nick Schwartz offered on Locked On, the other show I do, that he did not believe that MJ had a spot on this squad. Do you believe that there's a possibility for MJ to have a Malik Remy like March Surge? Is there someone else on the squad who could? Do they need that? Well, I think after the K State game, it feels
0: like the answer to the first part of that question has pretty much been closed. In yes. that, in terms of this season, probably not happening for MJ Rice, probably not happening for him to have an impact. And take that as you will. I, I mean, I don't, you know, we don't No, We're not at practice. We're not involved in those closed-door conversations with regards to what, you know, whether it's injury, whether it's whatever. Obviously, he's been struggling with injury. But, yeah, I think the case is pretty much closed on that. MJ probably not going to, to do that. Is there someone yeah. else on the squad who could? Okay, hear me out. I think it maybe could be Joe Yesifu. Mm. Maybe. Okay. And here, here's here's what I'll say. Here's the case for Joe Yesifu. He's a scorer. That's what he was built as at Drake. He averaged a lot of points at Drake. That's that, That's what he was known for. Maybe he can find it, t- turn th- turn the corner a little bit, turn things around. Yeah, he, he averaged almost thirty points a game in the tournament with Drake. The one year they were in it. There's not a lot of real evidence to suggest that that's going to happen. But I'm going to make the case for it anyway. I think the <laughs> issue with Joe. I think the issue with Joe is this. I think Joe is thinking way too much instead of just playing. It's like that age-old adage of, you know, just play, right? If you think too much, you know, you can take stuff or whatever. I think I think he's thinking too much and not playing enough. And I also think that Joe is maybe feeling the pressure more of the name on the front of the jersey than anybody else I've seen at Kansas. I mean, listen, playing at Kansas comes with a lot of pressure. Yeah. You're playing at the place that literally invented basketball, winning its program in, in college basketball history. Like, uh, there's a lot of pressure with playing at Kansas. And most guys, you know, usually the blue-chip recruits, the guys like Grady Dick, the guys, you know, the five-star recruits, I mean, those dudes come in with a lot of pedigree. They're, you know, they, they don't have a problem with that. But for a guy like Joe, you know, who has really tried to grind, who's really had to work his way up, played at Drake, obviously, like, I don't know. Maybe that's a factor. And and, and if we ever got the opportunity to ask him about that, maybe you've asked him, you know, hey, like, you know... How have you handled just the pressure of being at Kansas? Because that, I don't know if that kind of correlates with him thinking too much in terms of the game, but I don't know, just a thought.
1: Yeah, uh, I, I actually agree with you. I think if anybody, it would have to be Joe, but I also don't think it's to the same magnitude. Malik Newman was a starter, and uh, I mean, just to begin with, you can't expect a guy to play that well, like look like one of the best players in the country, all of a sudden turn the switch. It doesn't happen that often. Uh, but yeah, to from just the sentiment of playing a lot better and raising your game a bunch come March, it would be him. Um, obviously, to a lesser role where maybe it's only 10 to 15, to even 20 minutes off the bench per game, where he could maybe get you 10 to 12 a game. Like, I think that could happen i don't expect it to though and i don't expect it to happen i think at this point like the mj rice thing not really happening uh this one from mason all things considered through five big 12 games this was sent before the k-state game what do you predict record being going into february after playing at k-state tcu baylor at kentucky and k-state to end january obviously the k-state won already a loss yeah that's tough
0: i think uh you have to hold it home first of all so you got TCU and Baylor and K-State all at home. I thought Baylor was on the road. Or no, Baylor's on the road. Is it, isn't it? it on the road?
1: I could have sworn it was on okay. Big Monday. I think you're right. Okay,
0: wrong. so you have TCU and K-State at home. So I think that would mean that worst-case scenario is you go two and three in the stretch. You've already lost to K-State. It is at Baylor, by the way. You lose at Baylor and you lose at Kentucky. But you win at home against TCU and against K-State. To me, that's pretty much worst-case scenario. Yeah. So, that's two and three. That would put you at 19 and four and seven and two in the conference. Which all Seven and three.
1: Because they already have one loss. Oh, dude. They're going two and two the next. This so is, seven is what
0: happens when I try to do math. <laughs> e! Okay. 19 and four and seven and
1: three in the conference. I also think they'd be 18 and four and seven and three in the what? conference. No. They're 16 and two right now. If they go two and two the next two. <laughs> I don't know. You can't even do like, basic arithmetic. What is uh, happening? What is happening? So they'd be eighteen and four, seven and three in the conference. You know what? I'm, I'm, I, I mean, that that would be fine. It, it, it would still put you on pace you're in the Big am, Twelve title race. I am flustered, but yeah, I think if if you can go, if you can beat TCU and K State at home and win one of the two on the road between Baylor and Kentucky, I think you're more than happy with going three and two in what would be this five game stretch starting with K State. Well,
0: Kentucky stinks. Now, now if Baylor looks it, beatable at home. Yeah. So if you want my personal expert opinion on what I believe will happen. 21 and 2, 8 and 1 in conference. Is that
1: right, math? 21 and 2, 8 so and 1. Do you think they're going to win all four? Yes. So, yes, that would be 21 and 20. Two. 20 and 2. No way. Are you serious? Aren't they 16 and 2? Did you just like add an extra win in there? Yeah, they're 16 and 2. I don't know. Are you counting like an exhibition game? I must count I, I secret think, scrimmage. I think I just no, they lost Wanted the them scrimmage. to win against K State so badly that I just keep <laughs> okay. thinking they won. Uh, but yeah, I, I would say two and three, three and two is most likely. Uh this one's no, Scott. four and one is, is gonna happen. The purge is legal starting tomorrow. What's your itinerary? First of all, sup FBI. <laughs> Thanks for
0: tuning into the show. All right, here's what I'm doing. I am driving to Andy Reid's house, and I am telling him that if he punts on fourth down and less than six between the 40s, very, very bad things are going to happen to him.
1: Do you think, like, a very bunch of bad Chiefs things. fans would make a barricade around, like, Patrick Mahomes' house? They'd be like, You're not touching our quarterback. <laughs> Um, I'll be clear. I, I'm not a, a somebody who needs to do crimes. So like, I I just I I, I'm, that's, I'm that's not a crime. No, I know. Was I know. That I, I know. Was, I know. Was, was what I was my statement across. But I would sir. I would be the person who would get oh, with then, some of my closest friends, and we would like barricade ourselves indoors and okay, you know, get ready. for Actually, it what I would actually do away. is I would put off my I would put on my wolf mask and oh wait <laughs> wait a second no I wouldn't do that wrong guy. Uh, this one from John can Jalen Wilson dunk? Maybe. Uh, So I went back and looked, Bart Torvik This is actually a funny story, I I talked about this on social media The other day, Bart Torvik said he had Two dunks in his redshirt Freshman year, so the 20-21 to Season, he had one dunk last season 21-22 season, zero Dunks on one attempt this year, he got rim stuffed Earlier this year, Uh, but I went back And looked, and I looked at the game data And one of the dunks, it said On the Bart Torvik site, it said this play-by-play data Might be unreliable, so I went and looked ESPN said it was a tip-in KU's page. If you go to the the play-by-play data, said it was a dunk. So then somebody sent me the video. Thank you to Bryson for sending that. And it was very, very clearly a tip-in. Like it's not even close to a dunk. He tips it in off the backboard. Um. So I don't know why that was ever considered dunk. So, short answer, he has two dunks. You can find them on my Twitter page. I ranked them number one and number two. Uh, we'll see if we get another so one. So in
0: how many career games? In
1: oh gosh. 60 career games? No way more than that because they played like 40 last year he would have probably appeared in one his true freshman year when he got injured and then uh, you're looking at like another 35 maybe 30 because he had COVID the year before so you're probably plus this year is already about 20 games in. You're probably looking at like 90 games for Jalen Wilson at this point. We have two dunks but that's okay. Uh, that's not that's really not. his game. It's not his game. Doesn't matter. It's not his game. That's not his uh, game. This one from Jim. Last one. You can give an extra body part to any KU basketball player. What do you choose? Okay, I've got a couple. I've spent a way too much time brainstorming
0: this one, <laughs> but I got a couple of ideas. I think the best option here would be that you say you give Dewan or Bobby an extra pair of eyes. I like in the back. Okay. I think that's. I think that they never maybe, get wolfed. Yeah. I think that's maybe number one. But I also have an important question. Another another question to the question. Okay. Are we considering one single arm to count or, or is it gonna be a pair of arms? I think
1: it has to be one single arm.
0: Because like if like with legs, it's gotta be a pair of legs. Mm-hmm. But with arm, if it's just one single No, I single, think it would be one leg. Only one leg? Yeah. Okay, that change okay, that changes things. Okay. If we're going with just one single arm, I think you would give it to McCullough. It would make him that much better of a defender. Yeah. Now, listen, I can't imagine a three-armed player is going to be very good offensively, but as, we already, as we've already, as we already discussed <laughs> or throughout the show, McCuller's on a cold streak. Why not just give him an extra arm to play defense with? Boom. Problem solved. Now, if you're going to force me to only pick <laughs> one leg instead of a pair of legs, because listen, what I think you would do with a pair of legs is you give them to KJ. And, and but you, it has to be like some kind of Terminator situation where you could like <laughs> unplug the legs and plug in the new ones, what? and then he'd play. So he'd play like twenty five minutes. So he never. And oh then he would gosh. take his old legs off, and put the new legs on. Dude's good to go for another twenty minutes. Easy <laughs> problem solved. So if you're doing if you're doing that, you that's what you do. You you make it some kind of Terminator situation with KJ. But if you're only giving me one leg, uh, I don't think you can do that with anybody. Um, I don't think that's really good.
1: Could you give me... I don't see an argument for giving anyone another pair of legs. Could you give an extra face to Grady Dick? Because then you can only face guard one of his faces. <laughs> I think I overthought it, then. <laughs> All right. Here's uh, Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Thank you to everybody for the questions. That is our KU mailbag. We Terminator got sort of KJ. Coming to a movie theater near you. Coming up next. This is RCST. <laughs> Welcome back into Rock Shock Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Joined now by Josh Briscoe. You can give him a follow at J.B. Briscoe on Twitter. You can find him with 810 in the afternoon show from 10 to 2 with Jason Anderson. You can hear him on um, Times R's with The Athletic. You can find him with SI Now. Uh, so plenty of ways you can find Josh. But uh, as he says before, just give him a follow on Twitter. You'll catch all his stuff at J.B. Briscoe. Uh, so, Josh, uh, some injury news for the Chiefs coming into this game. Came out today. Doesn't sound like McCole Hardman or... Clyde Edwards-Hillaire or Jody Fortson are going to be activated for the game. Which of yeah. those three do you think has the biggest impact for the Chiefs?
3: Oh, it's definitely Hardman. I, I know that it kind of out of sight, out of mind. The offense has gotten some things figured out in his absence. Gennarius Toney certainly lessens the impact of that. Um, I'm the world's biggest Jody Fortson fan, and I don't even feel bad saying, like, you know, he's tight in three, and they got Blake Bell back. So that makes me personally sad, and the running back room has figured itself out in Clyde's absence but ultimately the uh, the loss of Hardman kind of bumps me out because part of me wants to just see him and Tony in the same uh, on the same field together uh, and see what that looks like in a playoff atmosphere and also I just think he stresses out defenses in terms of what he can do with pre-snap motion with the ball in his hand um, just trying to, to make defensive backs think a little bit differently about what they can do to try to wrangle everybody else up together so I think that the, the loss of Hardman is the biggest of all of those, but it's not as big of a deal as it would have been, you know, pre Kadarius tony trade. That kind of ended up being right around the same time that Hardman got hurt. Tony comes in. Obviously, we didn't see Tony out there for a stretch as well, but if if 19 stays healthy, the loss of 17 won't hit quite as hard, but I, I would have really liked to see him out there this week.
1: I'm glad you talked about Tony there because I'm curious what you think his role will be in the postseason. Is it the same that we've seen in some of the regular season games that he has been healthy for. Obviously, the last time we saw him against the Jags, that was uh, quite the performance from him. Do you expect an increased role because McColl is out for Tony now that it is the playoffs? I don't know. How how do you envision this going for for him in the playoffs?
3: I, generally speaking, try to be reasonable in my analysis. I I try to not predict things that are terribly unlikely to happen. I, I certainly don't ever want to just predict stuff for the sake of predicting something. And I kind of think they're going to take the lid off of Kadarius Tony in these playoffs, <laughs> man. I, I really, really, really have a hard time convincing myself that Andy Reid will convince himself not to put Kadarius Toney in a huge spot in this run. But like you see it physically on your screen when he has the ball. You see how he moves. Even before he has the ball, you're in a little whip wrap., oh, they t- They'll take your breath away. I, I, just, I don't see other guys move the way that he does. And it just feels like he was built in a lab for this offense in so many ways. So I am ultra optimistic about Kadarius Tony, and, and, I, and like, here's where I'll try to sound like I'm, you know, not buying all the stock. Long term, it's all about the health, right? If he stays healthy, great. If he doesn't, this trade will go down as a story of what could have been. And in these playoffs, he still hasn't been with the team for very long. We've been talking about Sky Moore getting comfortable in the offense and learning how. All of that works together and reading the defense and reacting in real time. We were talking about that with Sky Moore all year long. He's barely a part of the offense. Even with like veterans like Juju Schuster and um, Justin Watson, Mark Scantling, the guys who are new here, that's a process even. And I, I know all of that, and that should apply to Tony even more so than those other guys. But I've also seen him do it in, in limited samples, and, and I don't think he's going to be like the leading receiver in snaps or anything but I just can't imagine that the Chiefs don't have some really killer stuff for him for as long as they're playing football this year.
1: Well, if that was your measure to take, would the uh, measured take there on, on Kadarius Tony, would the, I don't know, non-measured take be that he's going to score like eight touchdowns this weekend?
3: Yeah, it, it, it would be like he's going to score in every game and <laughs> he's going to end up with like six or seven touches. Um, and honestly, that if, he can, if you count all touches him. He might have a game where he eclipses that. I don't know. But my, my unmeasured take is that he he's a Hall of Famer if he stays healthy. There we like, go. That is my legit, no joke, but very one big couching. If he is healthy, I feel like his career is going to go from New York to Kansas City to camp. That, that is my unmeasured take.
1: There we go. Um, well, Chris Jones obviously has been having an unbelievable season and I, I know uh, it, it, he's constantly a, a topic com- conversation on times ours with you guys uh, <laughs> would you like to would you like to go out on a limb and predict Chris Jones first postseason sack on Saturday
3: yes I don't even have to couch that yes I, I think <laughs> uh, I certainly hope it's Saturday and certainly in this playoff run I expect him to, to have a couple of them in fact um yeah he he's going to get to trevor lawrence he's going we know he's going to affect the plays and that's the thing that feels silly about that whole conversation is like and it's not a silly question for you to ask because people are asking it but it's really frustrating to have people be like yeah well chris jones just disappears in big games doesn't have a sack in the playoffs. like he hasn't been the most impactful defender in most of those games if not all of them like the impact he makes it would be like saying, "Well, yeah, Travis Kelsey's great, but he didn't catch a touchdown in this playoff game." <laughs> right. like, well, yeah, because the rest of the in Defense was honed in on him in particular because they didn't trust anybody else to beat them. I, so I think that's part of it, and uh, that frustrates me because, like, that's not a good way of of measuring his success and his impact. But but also, the rest of the defensive line has actually shown some growth, which is going to directly benefit Chris Jones, so it makes him harder to key in on that much.
1: What you just talked about there with the defensive line. Um, If you go back to, I guess it would have been 2019 when it was, I guess, first year of Frank Clark and, and you still had Chris Jones, maybe that would be the answer here. I don't know. But is this the best? I mean, statistically, it certainly seems like it when you look at the total number of pressures and sacks they put up this year. But is this the best that you probably would feel about the Chiefs defense going into the postseason over this run with Patrick Mahomes?
3: Yeah, I think statistically the, the 19 defense, if I've got all my numbers together, I think the 19 defense might have been like the most well-graded group and the most uh, statistically successful group uh, over the course of, of the Super Bowl run. But it's by far the best I've felt about the defense in a long time, and maybe even going back to 2019. Part of it being, I think, that it is a really young group. And that you are seeing the direct improvement of a lot of those guys. All these rookies, they have playing significant roles. How young all of their corners are. Um, I'm, I'm excited about the defense and it's, its recent growth. I'm excited about what it's going to look like long-term. And like I, I feel like that is a pretty far cry from some of the darker days of where this defense has been in the last few years.
1: As far as the game goes on Saturday against the Jaguars... Um... Is there anything that sticks out to you most about the matchup, or, or something you're most interested to see, or, or that could possibly have the the biggest determining factor in, in who comes out on top?
3: Well, no matter who the Chiefs end up playing in the playoffs, it's nice to know that like half the time it's a Josh Allen I can be worried about, uh, and so that's that's certainly true with, with Jacksonville. I'm really curious to see how they're going to try to impact Mahomes, and and also what the rest of that defense does around it. We talked quite a bit on the zone today about like, hey, what's it going to look like? if they do have a lead, or really, maybe even more importantly, just when they need something relatively easy as an offense, just hit an easy button and move the ball five yards, most often that's Mahomes to Kelsey, or even the this year, you know, Mahomes to Juju. But the the Jags that are really interesting and, and sort of underrated thing against the Chargers in that comeback last week, they, they held the Chargers to virtually nothing on the ground, specifically in the second half, and the Chargers just stopped even trying to run the football. So, I, that whole environment of, of where the Jags' defense is at right now has me really intrigued. I know the Chiefs are going to have counter punches to everything, but I'd like to see them be able to do the stuff that simply they want to be able to do to just keep the line moving, not worry too much about having to live for the big plays, which I, don't, which I think is a little overblown anyway, if I'm being honest. But ultimately, I just want to see them be able to hit the easy stuff and, and match up wise what the Jags' defense is able to do to combat some of that. On the other side of the ball, um, there are interesting matchups, but it's almost completely about the Chiefs across the defensive line with those rookie corners I mentioned in, in those groups.
1: So what does it look like uh, if the Chiefs lose the game? I mean, it's not unthinkable. They're also pretty yeah. heavy favorites, 8.5 points. Uh, what does it look like? What, what would that, I guess, disaster mode look like where the Chiefs lose? What went wrong?
3: Uh, they've got an AFC South team. That's step one. <laughs> that's, the, that's the first curse. Um, but what, what I really think it will be is if I'm talking to you next week and we're going, all right, so uh, what are the Chiefs going to do with the 28th taking the draft or whatever it would be? I think it'll probably be pretty simple. I think we'll find three or four spots and the Chiefs shot themselves in the foot. That might be a special team's instance of maybe it's a punt, maybe it's a missed extra point, maybe it's four missed extra points, maybe it's a missed field goal, maybe it's uh, missed time, Mahomes interception. Maybe it ricochets off of someone's hands. Uh, a fumble that looks like forward progress. And then they ultimately review it and say it's not anymore. <laughs> These are all things that have happened this year for the Chiefs. Isaiah Pacheco fumbles the ball; it just shoots out directly straight down, which no one's prepared for. It would be self-inflicted wounds, or not to undercut the Jags in an upset that hasn't even happened yet. But like, it self-inflicted wounds, or at least situations where the Jets put the Chiefs in a high leverage position and they just crack. which again we've seen. I feel pretty confident about the Chiefs in this game It's on that scale of an NFL playoff game with a team that I did watch lose to the Colts. I did much more recently see take the Texans to overtime, to need overtime against the Texans. But I also thought they looked like against the Raiders. And the team that showed up in that season finale in the regular season, that team is beating anybody the team that lost to the Colts is by definition losing to anybody (laughs) and that's the dichotomy of this team I am much more of a belief that they're a lot closer to the good than the bad but that's what I think it looks like if we're having a conversation next week wondering what the belief happens
1: well hypothetically Chiefs find a way to win against Jacksonville on Saturday what do you think would be the better matchup for them uh getting to play the Bengals in Arrowhead or getting to play the Bills in Atlanta
3: um, I guess given the, the home field situation, I'd, I'd rather see Cincy and Arrowhead. Um, I understand all of the sort of like bad juju and the curses, not the receiver, but you know, the ethereal concept. I, I understand all the <laughs> stuff that, that comes with the Bengals now. And, and like, I think they're plus five in that game, which seems crazy to me. I also almost think the Bills have gone full circle, or maybe they're a little underrated at this point by everyone except for the sports books, I guess a lot of people are talking about the, the Bengals in that game as if they're if not the favorite, certainly right there in what would be a pick em. I'm worried about the wide receivers that he has. Um, I do think that they continue to be a worse matchup for the Chiefs than Buffalo is. No Von Miller is a big deal for Buffalo. So if, if you're going to say they're an arrowhead either way, I'd pick Buffalo. I, I don't know that the neutral sight thing is going to be that big of a deal for determining the winner of the game. In fact, Chiefs Bengals in a semi- like stale or chiefs Bills in a semi stale environment. I don't even know how that really moves the needle one way or the other. I just think you're gonna get a bunch of Chiefs fans, a bunch of Bills fans, it's gonna be kind of weird. I like the idea of uh, I like the idea of, of ending up with the Bills one more time to get back to the Super Bowl. I don't like the idea of it being in Atlanta. So you can tell I'm conflicted. I think I said Bengals first, I kind of wish I would have said Bills, so I'll say Bills now, but I think it's about that close.
1: Okay. Maybe they
3: Tickets, I'd say bleep whatever advantage. I want to go to the game. Right. I'll go to Arrowhead. If I'm saying I want the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl as my number one thing, I'd say go ahead and root for the Bills. And
1: okay, makes sense. We're talking about Josh Briscoe here. Uh, are you ready for another edition of Good Idea, Bad Idea?
3: I was for good idea, bad idea that I couldn't even bring myself to give you a serious answer for the uh, Bills Bengals question.
1: Let's do it. Okay, let's do it. Uh Chick fil A being in an NFL stadium that plays on Sundays when it is closed, which is the case for that possible Chiefs Bill's game.
3: Yeah, I mean that's a bad idea. I mean it's a good idea for every Saturday thing. It's a good idea for the soccer matches they have that they presumably aren't on Sundays but all that often. Uh but it's a cruel idea for a football Sunday.
1: Uh, the Chiefs as you mentioned AFC South games weird but the Chiefs purposely getting down early against the Jaguars so Andy Reid just being like let them score because it's not just the Chiefs versus AFC South this year but think about it every AFC South versus AFC West playoff game involves a massive comeback you had the Chargers last week you had the Chiefs Texans a couple years ago you have Chiefs Colts you know a decade ago which that just made me sad thinking it was that long ago Uh, nonetheless Chiefs purposely getting down early because of all that
3: I love the logic. I'm still going to say it's a bad idea, partially because I think the Jags could just get so boring if that happens, not that that's going like, to end the game. but I just don't really want to see that. Um, I will meet you halfway and say the Chiefs should be careful to never get more than a 10-point lead. At that point, then the Jags switch into overdrive mode. So just to reply to it a little bit, a good idea to make sure the lead doesn't get past two possessions.
1: Delaying the game to Sunday. You know, you, you get the... Uh, sprinklers it to go is. off it freezes. You know, you move, move it to Sunday so that you're not playing on a day that Trevor Lawrence is undefeated. Yeah, that's
3: a great idea. Okay. I was really sad that that to end last weekend, and then it didn't because they came back. That that Trevor Lawrence Saturday magic is terrifying to me. So yeah, whatever that grounds crew's got to do out there, uh, I don't. I think mean, they they canceled the Hall of Fame game a few years back because the paint coagulated weird. <laughs> He'll figure it out. We can do it on Sunday. A temporary one-day delay. Good idea.
1: Um, this is an off-season one, but I know it was something that, that got brought up a lot over the last week or so. Uh, the Chiefs acquiring DeAndre Hopkins in the off-season.
3: It's closer to a bad idea than a good idea, just for some of the really practical stuff. The Chiefs having DeAndre Hopkins is a great idea. I'd be happy to see him hanging around on the you know the Juju one-year contract or whatever it would end up being. But I think he wants a new deal. Obviously, picks would have to be involved in a trade with the Cardinals. I, I don't like any of that. And they've been getting younger, and I think trying to build up the foundation of their group right now, kind of like that strategy, per se, that you know Patrick Mahomes doesn't, shouldn't need or, or shouldn't have a true number one receiver. I think that we've seen the impact that can have on an offense in a positive way. I just don't think situationally Hopkins is that guy.
1: Um, having Josh Briscoe do a Lil John impression. What? <laughs> yeah. Good idea. There we go. All right, I think
0: Nick's got one for you. Okay. Teaching yourself German now, so you can yell at the officials in German next season, and when the Chiefs play in Germany.
3: Dude, can we get Carl Sheppard's out there and like <laughs> just doing a German, trying to speak in German, like a very unnecessarily thick accent? That'd be awesome. <laughs> Uh, Great idea. I think it's fun. I I like the international games because I I like the idea of of Kansas City having a fan base in Germany. I think that rules. So yeah, go ahead and start your language app of choice or whatever and and book your tickets now. I guess don't book your tickets now because we don't know when that game is going (laughs) to be or exactly where, but we know in Germany next season. So mentally book your tickets for that and... uh, have a in time trying to do it. I don't know. That's as close as I'm going to get, guys. The little John impression fell right into my lap. The German, I do not secretly know
2: a lot of German.
1: Okay. Well, uh, well maybe we'll, we'll teach you a little bit of German. But, yeah, if you, if you you book an Airbnb for like four months, you know, you just the whole month, September to December, you're good to go there. Josh, I appreciate the time as always, man, and uh, look forward to talking to you again down the road.
3: If you can't get a one-way ticket to Thailand, get yourself a one-way ticket to Germany. <laughs>
1: That's Josh Briscoe. You can find him on Twitter at JBBriscoe. You can also hear him co host of The Zone on 810. He also does Chiefs post game there. You can find him with Arrowhead Report on SI Now and Times Hours on The Athletic. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. Two hours down, one to go. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Five o'clock hour. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. A couple big 12 games occurred last night, the final ones for. I guess the the weekdays for the week before we get to the weekend here. Um, West Virginia beats TCU by 9, and Oklahoma State blows out Oklahoma, which the blowouts have been a bit rare. Uh, But the West Virginia one, certainly interesting. Yep, yep. um, Because, I mean, for one, all the metrics seem to love West Virginia, so important for them to finally (laughs) get a win. But also, like, if you you do want to keep the dream alive of having as many Big 12 teams as possible in the NCAA tournament. That's a good win. Yes, you, you need more of these bottom tier teams to kind of beat some of these upper echelon teams, which happened last night. Does that give you more confidence about Saturday's game against TCU because we saw what KU did in Morgantown, or does it scare you a little more because now TCU is going to be extra pissed off coming off a loss?
0: Yeah, I think it actually worries me a little bit more. And I was gonna I, listen. I have a theory, and I, I I I don't think it's that true, but I'm just gonna float it. <laughs> teams before they play Kansas, the game before they play Kansas. They're looking ahead to Kansas because everyone wants to play Kansas, and they lose the
1: game before they play Kansas. I don't think that would be totally inaccurate. I, I so think, in the six yeah.
0: games that KU has played in conference play, we're, I'm just talking about conference play, and the six in the six games that the has played in conference play. I didn't, I haven't looked back to see the rest of like the season, but in in conference play alone, teams the game before they play Kansas are two and four. K State lost, TCU lost. West Virginia lost and Tech lost before they played Kansas. So they're that, two and four, which, like, I don't think that's enough to say, like, no, it's, it's oh, not it's a trend. A trend, trend. Yet. Like, it could just be, hey, West Virginia and Texas Tech have been losing to everyone. You <laughs> yeah, know what I mean, I mean? yeah, Like, West Virginia's then, not that good, you know? And, yeah. like, so I, I, but I, keep an is, eye on that
1: because that, that could be something to monitor down the rest of the season. Like, because listen, like, know.
0: we, we've always known, like, Kansas has the target on their back. Everyone wants to play Kansas. Everyone wants to beat Kansas. Like that's the that's the game that most teams have circled on their schedule. Especially if it's like Kansas coming to your coming to your place, right? Mm -hmm. Like for example, the K State situation where they go to TCU and get beat by fourteen with KU coming right out, you know, for their biggest game of the season. So I don't know. It's an interesting trend. It's something that may need may require some more research that uh, might circle back to later on. But I don't know. Just just uh, I mean, I've always I mean, like I said, we've always known that. Kansas is the game that people circle on their schedule, but if it it would be really telling if it was like tangible evidence of hey, yeah, teams looking are ahead. looking ahead to Kansas constantly.
1: You should look into that for past seasons too because that might give you a little bit of better data, yeah. but I'm interested yeah. to see how that goes. That that is kind of an interesting point. As far as the Oklahoma State blowout over Oklahoma. So Oklahoma I don't really Oklahoma is yeah.
0: the worst team in the conference now, right? I
1: guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's kind you of a, sound very No, wait, wait, in well, that. Texas Tech, Texas Tech, right? Oh, okay, I guess Texas Tech. Although yeah. Texas okay. Tech now has the the Fardaws uh, a meat guy, which we'll talk about here in a second, who uh was averaging was the, 18 and was 14. Was that the guy that
0: there was the NCAA eligibility situation with him?
1: No, he uh he was averaging like 18 and 14 at Utah Valley, transferred to Texas Tech, and then he I think he broke his foot. It was something in his leg that he uh, oh, okay, broke. Yeah. He's been out all this time, and then he an- entered the oh, transfer okay, yeah, portal. Yeah, yeah, okay, I remember. That. And then, yeah, like yeah. a day or two later, he decided to come yep, back. Okay, so it was now, kind yeah. of a weird situation, but he's back now. He's averaging twelve and seven in his first two games. He's a good player. Um, I don't know how that affects things. They're still zero and six in Big Twelve play, so it has to be them. But like, uh, I guess That's going true, yeah. back in line with yeah, you need some of the bottom tier teams like Oklahoma State to fetch up wins against some of the top tier, I guess. Technically, Oklahoma State was below OU at that point, so I don't totally know there. So a lot of people were thinking that Mark Adams was
0: like maybe the actual mastermind behind Mm -hmm. Texas Tech when they were good with Chris Beard.
1: Maybe that's not the case. I I think he still is the mastermind behind the defense, but I think the issue he's run into is that I think Chris Beard might have been a better evaluator of the transfer portal because remember texas tech always was bringing in like new players every year at the transfer portal right yeah and mark adams had to bring in a bunch of new players at the transfer portal this year and i don't know how well a lot of those have hit for them now it could just be i mean they're not a blue blood program so like they had a bunch of great years in a row you lose a bunch of players if you
0: ask a texas tech fan they would probably be like oh yeah we're a top 14 with the big 12 (laughs) is that true
1: like, program this, wise? No, the, yeah. probably not.
0: But, like, Pro, yeah, program wise, I think they probably think they're. Pretty I guess good. my
1: point is that I don't think they are. And so, for a program and lost all these players, like, you just have setbacks sometimes. You know, would I it mean, surprise you if writing? next year they were really good again? No. Program
0: wise, you got KU and Baylor. Those mm-hmm. are going to be your top two. And then Texas? But, like, Texas Tech has accomplished more in the last year. I think it's all kind of based on coaches,
1: right? At this yeah. point? Yeah. Yeah. The, mm-hmm. And then you have the, the schools that are going to be leaving. So if I guess Houston's going to come in, and they're going to be on as good a footing as anybody <laughs> in the conference at uh, that point in time. But one thing I was, I was curious about, because I uh, this is something you were telling me about and I ended up doing last night. Instead of betting on um, just this team to win yeah. or on, hey, this team's getting six and a half points in a Big 12 game, we expect it to be close, I'll take the six and a half points. You got me onto this that there are certain sites that you can go to and bet specifically that this team will win by one to nine points. Yeah, and because it is a a, a small sliver of what you could win by, because the other options are you could lose or you could win by ten or more. Yeah, it boosts the odds to to where I, significantly. I did this both on West Virginia and Oklahoma State last night, and they were plus one eighty five on both of them. Yeah, um, one of the two hit. But, you know, it ended up making money because yeah, it yeah. Plus 185. So I was curious. I wanted to go through. There have been 30 Big 12 games played so far, and I wanted to be like, is this actually a profitable venture if you would do this in every single Big 12 game? So theoretically, if it's plus 185, which I don't know – That usually between plus 180 and plus
0: 200. Okay, let's just say 180.
1: Just to be conservative, we'll say it's 180. So if you bet, just hypothetically, ten dollars on every Big 12 game, that would mean you have put three hundred dollars out betting on Big 12 games. So to make the three hundred dollars on ten dollar bets, if it's plus 180, that means you know you're you're winning basically eighteen dollars, which you're getting twenty eight back in total. Um, so so you win, would have like to how win many, how many would Be about 11 bets would make which put you in the positive. You'd okay. be a little over 300. Okay. So if you win 11 of the 30 bets, you would win. And guess what? there have been 11 just one-possession games of the 30 in the Big 12. And if you expand it out to two-possession games, which you would still be winning that bet, there have been 17. So six two-possession games, 11 one-possession games. And then you expand it further, single-digit games. So games that ended with nine or less points, one-possession, two-possession, three-possession games. 21 of the 30 Big 12 games so far have been single-digit games. So that means... That if you would put $10 on this bet and it was only 180 each and every time, then you would have won $588 on $300 worth of bets. You'd be up almost double your money right now. That's So I good. think now, I'm just going to start doing the, this every the game. One thing
0: you, the one thing I would urge caution with this is, so you have 21 single-digit games, but you also have to pick the team that wins the game.
1: Yeah, that's you know what true. I'm that's So it's true. like
0: a so it's there. There are kind of two aspects to it. Like th- this is great data to say this is a good bet, but also you still have to successfully pick which team is winning the game. Which when you're having that many close games, you might get some wrong. Yeah, <laughs> you know.
1: I, yeah, I sh- I should have checked into this. as, like if you picked the but like favorite for instance, if you look at just one.
0: Kansas, mm-hmm. just Kansas, you'd be five and one. I think no, you'd be you'd be five, four and two because they beat West Virginia by fourteen.
1: Yeah, but
0: other than that, you'd be you'd be four and two on just Kansas alone. Because they've won every game, they've won every close game they played. They beat West Virginia by 14, and they just lost to Kansas State.
1: The other thing I want to look into is is KU specifically in the first half of the Big 12 games. Like, if you bet the other team in the first half,
0: yeah. would that be like KU undefeated
1: this year? Has been struggling in the first
0: half. Because I'm trying to think,
1: Oklahoma State obviously. Yep. You'd be, you know, if if you picked the other team, you'd yep. be one and zero. Yep. Um, what was the second game? Was it Oklahoma? No, there was a game in between No. That. Uh, Texas Tech. Right? Texas Tech.
0: Which that the one was you were up? Half. I
1: think. Five at half, so that one you probably be one and one. Um, the Oklahoma game you were up, I think, two close. and a half. Because they so that, that, that would have lost. Churchill
0: hit that shot at the yeah, last that would have lost
1: because they were probably getting four or five at the half because they were getting like nine or ten for the game. So you would be one and two or two and one if you were betting the opponent. Um, the I'm just going out of order. I'm just thinking of whatever games. The West okay. Virginia game was actually close at half. Is they like, were
0: down five. West Virginia
1: was down five. I think it was seven. Didn't they hit a shot at the end of half or, or get some free throws? K-U? That one. Oh yeah, no, yeah. Because yeah, they, they got, got free the, throws. They
0: had the musket shot. Yeah, they gave yeah. Them two free throws. That's right.
1: Um, so that <laughs> so one they were they would have seven, yeah. be two and two. K State was K State plus point five. So yeah, he yeah, would be up three to two. And then uh, what's the game we're missing? What is the game they're missing? Iowa State. Oh, I don't even remember what the score at halftime was. I think it was close. But Iowa State. It was. It was definitely close. And Iowa State was getting eight for the games. They're probably getting four at half. So well, yeah, you'd be four you'd probably and two. We cover that one. You know. Yeah. I guess there's a little bit. But yeah, I mean something there.
0: Yeah. I, if you're looking for that bet, I would bet certainly like Kansas because Kansas is a team that we know has the has the mental toughness to win close games, and they've been in a lot of close games. So if you wanted to expand out the idea, but yeah. Look on different betting sites. You can find it. Because, for example, like Kansas against Iowa State was getting eight, point, was yeah. eight points against Iowa State, right? So if you bet Kansas minus eight at minus 115 odds, L. If you bet Kansas <laughs> to win the game and to win by one of nine points, W. They did it, and it was plus odds. Plus <laughs> exactly, yes.
1: So, yes. yeah, you probably wouldn't be as much as I said just because I forgot about the part where, yeah, you have to pick the right team, yeah, to, win, self, yeah, again, the right team to win, but again, even but if even you this, did it for every game, yeah. if you just hit on... At that point, sixty percent of the winners. Yeah, you'd you know, still you be hit up pretty on significantly. Thirteen of the twenty-one, or something like that. Then you'd yeah. still be up, you know, a decent amount, seventy bucks, yeah. something like that, on yeah. ten-dollar bets each. So, yeah, I think it's a good. I think it's a good bet, especially if you can pick the the right team that you think is going to win. Yep. Um. One thing that we were talking about yesterday with Kevin Flaherty, and and we kind of asked him about like who would be your your all Big 12 first team right now, and then you you asked him the question about like. K.J. Adams be in consideration, and does yeah. he deserve to be up there? And it kind of got my wheels turning on the idea that, like, and I don't remember what happened last year, but if if they, the voters, want, like, a, a center in there, somebody who plays the five, it's tough to figure out who to put on there. Now, if I remember right, they didn't end up putting a traditional five on there. They basically just put a four-man as the, the last forward, or, or maybe it was, like, four guards and a forward or something like that. Um, but... If they did want to put an actual center, and maybe this shouldn't even be about like the awards. Maybe I should just ask it this way: Who is the best center in the Big 12? And I think KJ Adams has as good of a argument as anybody in the league. Yeah. I, I, I yeah. mean, I, I, I'm not gonna give you every number on on the radio here, but I have it listed out with everybody's numbers and like, basically, I, I His numbers
0: are very comparable. I mean, the yeah. rebounds per game aren't aren't necessarily That's there the one compared thing. to other guys, just because. Kansas has been kind of a rebound-by-committee type team. But, yeah, he's certainly there. And and the question that I asked Kevin yesterday was, what if KJ does average 14.5 and 6 the rest of the way? I mean, in Big 12 play. Yeah, right? like that,
1: yeah and the numbers I put on there are just regular season. and Yeah,
0: if you were just to look at his Big 12 numbers, they'd probably be a lot higher mm-hmm. because of how well he's been playing since the start of Big 12 play. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I would say you definitely have a legitimate case there. Uh, again, I think your question just kind of goes back to what, What would the voters look for? Would they look for more of a. Because KJ is. He's definitely more of a four player, right? It's just that K is playing him at the five. So, I mean, if you had another four guy on there plus KJ, you could be like, okay, well, KJ is a four guy, but he plays five, you know? So, but I, I think he would have to average. At least 14.5 and 6 probably the rest of the conference play, and I don't, that might not be enough to get him enough respect, right?
1: Yeah, maybe not, and a lot of times they, they you do the look problem- at the overall stats. Would, I don't think they should. Like Jalen last year, if you just looked at his Big 12 stats, could have been all Big 12. Or like David McCormick the year before should have been all Big 12 first team based or- on his Big 12 stats, but they, they look at the overall. Well, and
0: the other problem is like Jalen's locked in basically.
1: Grady. And I think Jalen, they'll just use as the five, basically, is what I'm saying in could this be, situation. Yeah. On, like, on the All-Big 12 Grady team.
0: could make it on. So now you're into the issue of, like, are, is there really going to be three Kansas players?
1: No, there's not. There's too many good players. Yeah. Marquise Noel, Keontae Johnson, Marcus Carr. I mean, I go on and on and on down the list. If Gabe Kauscher keeps his, like, they're going to get other players on the list. They just yeah. are. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't expect him to be there. But just going back to forget the award side of it, if you just say the best center, KJ is first. In points per game among centers, except for if you want to count Fardos Amak, which. I just said the the transfer for Texas Tech. He's played two games. He's averaging twelve yeah. points per game. So right now, he's <laughs> averaging more than KJ. And that's total for the season, not just Big Twelve play. KJ's at eleven point one. After that, it's like Tanner Groves at ten point two, Daniel Bacho at nine point nine.
0: Well what really jumps out to me about this is KJ's sixty-seven percent from the floor. Yeah. I mean, that's that's best among all the all the centers, it looks like. Yeah, so like so
1: Bachos sixty-six percent, he's close. Musa is at fifty-nine. OCNE at uh yeah. Iowa State's fifty-eight percent. So, so not
0: like, only not only has KJ been scoring double digits he's doing it the, the most past efficient. nine games, yeah. yeah. He's he's
1: been the most efficient guy also. And then you look at he's averaging the most assists per game of any of the centers. He's averaging the most steals per game of any of the centers. He's actually comparable with a couple of the other centers in blocks at least. Like he's averaging the same amount of blocks as Tanner Groves, he's averaging more than Amic. He's uh averaging double the amount of blocks as Eddie Lampkin at TCU. He's averaging more blocks than OCNE. Uh now now if you run into this this conversation I think what it comes down to me because to me the best centers in the Big 12 it's probably like so Eddie Lampkin when he is at his A game is it's up in this conversation probably but the him, problem right? is he has too many games where he has 4 points 4 rebounds that's yeah. why he's only averaging 7.7 7 points and 7 rebounds per game this year so if you get good at Eddie Lampkin he's as good as anyone but you don't always get that I think you have to factor that in consistently um, Which, by I'd the way put, that
0: that's going to be a critical battle on Saturday. Oh yeah, him for sure. versus
1: K.J. and two really strong guys but yeah. um Tanner Groves I think would be in this conversation over 10 points over 7 rebounds he can stretch it a bit from 3 but if he's in the conversation we saw K.J. Adams kind of I don't know very much outplay him <laughs> yeah. in the game yeah. like <clears throat> the reason Oklahoma was in the game is cuz Kansas couldn't make a shot and because uh Sherfield Sherfield was, was just you know yeah. scored 25 points it, yeah. it wasn't because of Tanner Groves K.J. Adams very much outplayed him in that game, I think you can make the argument for like Daniel Bacho because he does a little bit of both. Um, but also, I think KJ is just more mobile and, and maybe gives you a little bit more. And Bacho can be game planned out. I think a little bit easier. Uh, the one that you could have the real argument with me for right now, I think is probably Musa Cisse. Obviously, from an offensive perspective, you get way less with Cisse, but really good rebounder and just. Having a guy like that that erases everything inside just makes everything so much easier. So that would be the one that I'd be comfortable if you wanted to go the other way. But I, I guess the point here is that you can make a real argument K.J. Adams is the best center in the Big 12. And yeah, then, if we go down the line of positions, you can be like, well, I could say Dewan's the best point guard in the Big 12. That's not crazy. He just yeah. shut down Marquise yeah, exactly. Noel. Yeah. I, yeah. Like um, I
0: said, I don't want to hear about Marquise Noel ever
1: again. <laughs> and there's other good point guards, you know. Like I said, we'll see how Marcus Carr does and everything. But you could argue KJ Adams is. Jalen Wilson's obviously the best four man. Yep. Um, Grady Dick's, Dick's the best, is the shooter, best shooter, shooter in the Probably Big 12.
0: The best, maybe not the best in yeah. this position. You could say Kevin shooter. McCuller
1: is the best overall defender in the Big 12 because he's versatile and everything.
0: I have a hard time saying Kevin McCullers is the best in anything. Nah, he's really good at defense, Seeing how he's though. been playing the best four games.
1: And and maybe, again, this goes back to the idea that something we were talking about yesterday, like, it's great you have all that, but you have nothing off the bench. Like, <laughs> you know, if you're drafting bench players, like, so many other players get taken before a lot of the KU ones do. But I guess that, I have, that's pretty have, cool.
0: I'm starting to build a little bit of faith that Joe might figure it out at some point. Okay. Time, but I don't know. We'll see.
1: But yeah, KJ, best center in the Big 12. Start the campaign. All right. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Shock Sports Talk on KLWN. We've got some more audio we'll share with you on the other side. This is RCST.